WTTM 071. This episode of the Window to the Magic podcast is brought to you by Sky Magic Productions Theme Parks from the Sky Aerial Photo Calendar. This calendar has 13 beautiful, full-color, super-detailed aerial photos of your favorite Disney theme parks like the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Disneyland, and Disney's California Adventure, plus brand-new images from Disneyland Paris and Tokyo Disney Sea. The photos are all new for 2007, and the calendar also features special dates in Disney theme park history. They're available right now, and they make great Christmas presents for any Disney theme park fan. Get the 2007 Theme Parks from the Sky calendar today at www.sky-magic.com Disney or by visiting the Window to the Magic store and clicking on the Sky Magic link on the left side of any page. You're listening to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. Brought to you by windowtothemagic.com. Surround yourself with the magic. Hello, and welcome to the windowtothemagic.com podcast. My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is a weekly trip into the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 71 of the windowtothemagic.com podcast. This week, we're going to read several emails and play some sounds, too, so let's get into it right away. From the Be Careful What You Say on the Show file comes this comment from Eddie. Paul, you say you got no negative comments on the Halloween show? Well, sorry, but here's one. Back when L. Frank Baum wrote The Wizard of Oz, he was adamant that Oz was a real place that Dorothy had visited. He felt that stories that turned out to be a dream were an unfair cop-out and insulting to the reader. I agree. Baum would have hated what MGM did to his book. When your Halloween show turned out to be just a dream, my son and I groaned and we were so disappointed after laughing so hard at much of the show. It was a terrible cop-out ending to a truly inspired show. Well, Eddie, I appreciate you filling in the gap and providing us with the negative comment that we said we were missing. Thank you. Your email has brought about an interesting thought for me. Maybe, and I do mean maybe, since Patrick will hear about this for the first time on this show, We can hold a contest in summer 2007 and ask people to submit ideas for the Window to the Magic Halloween show. That way, Eddie and everyone else can submit their ideas for what they would like to see the Window to the Magic team do, and we could even offer the winning writer 
a talk-on role on the show. What do you guys think of this idea? Podcast at windowtothemagic.com is where you write to let us know if you think this is a good or a bad idea. So again, Eddie, thank you for your negative comment, and we look forward to reading your entry next year. Now, I said at the end of show number 70 that I was going to share with you all a bit of how other Disney parks celebrate Christmas. Here is an interesting track from the 1998 Christmas season at Tokyo Disneyland. is a different take on Christmas than we got when we were at Disneyland, huh? Let the DPN gang show you just how much more fun it can be to hang with a crazy bunch of podcasters than it is to watch 
plants grow at the more fun than watching plants grow meet and greet. Saturday, December 9th, we'll gather just before 6.30 p.m. for a short meet and greet in Epcot's Land Pavilion before we take a ride on living with the land. Then the fun begins. Join us as we make our way over to the Rose and Crown Pub and Dining Room for the DPN's version of Happy Hour. We'll be staying for dinner and illuminations, space permitting. If you want to stay for dinner, we highly recommend that you make a reservation by calling 407-WDW-DINE. The event is open to all MouseFest attendees and is hosted by Jeff from Houston and many of your favorite DPN podcasters. If you plan to join us, let us know by sending a note to email at oakfan.com. For event schedules and more information about MouseFest, log on to mousefest.org. The more fun than watching plants grow, meet and greet in Epcot's Land Pavilion, Saturday, December 9th at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a great time, and who knows, you may end up hearing yourself on a future podcast. Come be part of the fun. Yes, that's right. In just a few weeks, Patrick and I will be heading out to Walt Disney World in Florida to join the rest of the DPN podcasters and a few non-DPN podcasters as well for events throughout MouseFest. These meets are a great way for those of you who are going to be at Walt Disney World for MouseFest to meet and greet the people behind the podcasts. Patrick and I will be going to the following meets and then the rest of the time we'll be wandering the parks letting Patrick enjoy his first ever trip out to the Florida resort. On Friday, we will be at Animal Kingdom in the morning, right at opening, to ride Everest and Dinosaur. Then we will head over to the Disney MGM Studios for lunch at the Sci-Fi Dine-In Theater. After lunch, we will enjoy the studios, taking in the Tower of Terror, Rock and Roller Coaster, and Star Tours. Then, at 4 p.m., we will be headed to the Backlot Express for PodFest. PodFest is a meetup of all the Disney podcasters, DPN or not, and the meet is hosted by Lou and Nathan from the Mouse Tunes podcast. This is where you should go if you want to meet podcasting luminaries such as Lou and Nathan, Mike Scopa and crew from WTW Today, Mark and Mike from the Magical Moments podcast, Mike, Jana, Ray, and Cindy from the LTAD podcast, Mike Newell from the Mouse House podcast, Ricky Briganti from Inside the Magic, and finally Patrick, me, and the rest of the DPN podcasters. Then, after PodFest at 5 p.m., those who wish to participate can join Patrick and I and a bunch of podcaster special guests as we record We're in the Park live at the Disney MGM Studios. All of the recordings made during this hour will be put together into one huge show for those in attendance to download after they return home to listen to and remember the event. Those of you who will not be able to attend will also find the show on the Window to the Magic feed so you can enjoy vicariously through us. It is going to be a very cool event. Then, after spending the rest of the evening at the Disney MGM Studios, we will spend Saturday at Epcot and will be attending the Mega Mouse Meet from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Walt Disney World Dolphin Resort Atlantic Hall A. This is the big meet where all the podcasters and listeners meet the webmasters, authors, and others 
as well as the board chatters, etc., in one big mess of a meet. There are 1,849 people registered for MouseFest 2006 as of this weekend. This is going to be the biggest, most crowded Disney Love Fest I have ever been to, and I am so looking forward to it. Then, after the Mega Mouse Meet is over, it's back to Epcot to finish out the day and to join the Disney Podcast Network for the more fun than watching plants grow meet and greet that I played the promo for at the beginning of my rambling. This is another chance for DPN folks to get together, both podcasters and listeners, to meet and greet and generally get to know each other. Then we ride the land ride and retire to the Rosen Crown Pub for happy hour and then dinner. Then on Sunday, we come to a meet that I am really looking forward to. That would be the Inside the Magic Haunted Mansion and Chicken Strips meet, hosted by Ricky Briganti. I am really looking forward to meeting all the Inside the Magic listeners and getting to hang out again with Ricky and Dream Come True Joe as we ride the Haunted Mansion. Then join Ricky at the Columbia Harbor House for lunch featuring the infamous Disney Chicken Strips. Ricky is a great guy and I look forward to shaking hands with the man once again and checking out the chicken strips that he talks about so often on his show. Then Patrick and I will spend the rest of Sunday at the Magic Kingdom enjoying all the classic Disney attractions, scaled up, and sure to blow Patrick's mind. So in closing, I would like to say that if you're going to be at Walt Disney World during MouseFest, be sure to be on the lookout for Patrick and I. We'll be in Window to the Magic t-shirts. And if you see us, don't hesitate to yell or scream, then run over and shake our hands. Or give us a hug, ladies, and let us know who you are. Patrick and I and the rest of the DPN gang are totally jazzed over this MouseFest trip, and we're looking forward to seeing you there. Hey there, hi there, ho there, window to the magic fans. This is Mouseketeer Greg, coming to you from beautiful, sunny, I mean, gray, rainy Seattle. Today I'm taking you on an ear trip down Fifth Avenue here in Seattle to the Experience Music Project, also known as the EMP. It's that big, twisty, three-story metal blob in the shadow of the Space Needle on the old world's fairground. You can't miss the EMP, Frank Gehry designed it. And the Seattle monorail runs right through it. When it's running, that is. Normally I wouldn't bring you here. It's a little on the touristy side, and it doesn't have a whole lot to do with Disney. But we're here for the ribbon cutting and grand opening of a brand new exhibit. The music behind the magic. Yes, I'm talking about that kind of magic. Disney magic. And this exhibit is perfect for an audio podcast, because it's all about sound and music. It's got over 65 rare artifacts from the Disney archives, five interpretive films, interactive attractions, and lots of exhibits and information, including an audio tour, some of which you'll get to hear. So let's get out of the rain and go see Mickey Mouse.
I don't want it. Nope. Yeah, I do. Just one? Yeah. Is one of these for the audio tour? Mm -hmm. It's at the top there. Okay. You can up at the top of the stairs. All right. Thanks. We're heading upstairs now to the third floor of the EMP, where a big red ribbon blocks the entrance to the new exhibit. A group of expectant kids is gathering, and the excitement is building. Rumor has it that Mickey Mouse will be here for the ribbon cutting. Mouseketeers Justin and Linda are joining us today. Hello. Hello. And I've got Mouseketeer Lupe on the phone. Hey there, Mouseketeer Lupe. Hey. So with you on the phone, all the mics are here. Exactly. I just don't get to see it or hear it until you guys you actually podcast it. So. Well, we'll hold the phone. we'll hold the phone up for you. Okay, good. You want to say anything to the listeners out there? Um, this should be a good ride for y'all. I won't be there to enjoy it until you guys are all listening to it. Thanks very much. Have a good day. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Masketeer Lupe. Okay. Ciao, ciao. morning. If there are any children, some of our young visitors this morning who would like to come forward and be the first to see Mickey when he comes out, we'd love to have you up front here. We're going to begin in a couple of minutes, and if you all would like to come forward, please do so. I'm a child. I want to go. <laughs> see, I told you we should have wore our ears. Yeah. We have more children who want to come through. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, my name is Josie Callum and I'd like to welcome you all to uh, the Experience Music Project this morning and the opening of Disney Music Behind the Magic. So, good morning and uh, on behalf of Walt Disney Records, I too thank you for attending this opening. Um, this is an amazing story. It's the story of Disney music and its impact on American pop culture. Um, this weekend also marks Walt Disney Records' 50th anniversary as a music label. So there's no greater way for us to launch our year of celebration than to be here with you today. As I mentioned, this is our 50th anniversary and I had the distinct pleasure and honor to be able to bring 51 of my closest friends. And those 50 friends, 51 friends are out there. So Walt Disney Record people, shout out to you. There is uh, one, one friend in particular that uh, when I told him that we were having this event had to come up here and he's uh, ears above all. And that is my friend Mickey. And he needed to come here. And so with that, I'd like to honor our, our, uh, our leader, Mickey Mouse. Wow, he's shorter than I thought. Mm -hmm. Welcome, everybody. Come on in. Let's get all the kids out of the way so we can go play. <laughs> 
As the kids clamor for Mickey's attention, we'll slip around the crowd and into the exhibit. It's not huge, but there's a lot here. All kinds of stuff from Disney shows, movies, and theme parks, along with informative displays and a very entertaining audio tour. But instead of talking about it, I'm going to let the exhibit speak or sing for themselves. I'm the guy they call Little Mickey Mouse. Not a speedy clown in the chicken house. Neither fat nor skinny, she's the horses. Winnie is my little Minnie Mouse. Disney's first composer and musical director for the studio at the time was Carl Stalling. Stalling later moved to Warner Brothers, where he achieved his, you know, his greater fame for scoring all the Looney Tunes. For the early Mickey Mouses, what he did mostly was arranging. He would take popular melodies, folk melodies uh, of the day, things that everybody knew, and he would arrange them to fit the timing of the cartoons. So though he didn't do a lot of original scoring, everything had to be precisely timed, and he did use imagination. And I would imagine that he probably did his orchestrations too. So in the very first cartoons, you really get that sort of late 20s, early 30s sound. It sounds like an old 78 played on a Victrola. So Stallings' things are very simple, but they're very imaginative. I'm the guy they call Little Mickey Mouse. Not a sweetie down in the chicken house. Neither fat nor skinny, she's a horse. That film and the ones that follow established Walt Disney and established Mickey Mouse, both at the same time. Snow White spawned the first soundtrack album. Up to that point, any songs that were in a film that were released on record or sheet music, but on record in particular, were re-recordings. Because film sound quality wasn't really all that great earlier on. But most of the musicians felt that it didn't really capture their song and that they felt to go back and re-record it was the best way to present their piece of work. But the songs for Snow White were released on record through RCA. And it was the first time that the actual soundtrack recordings were used for record. And the interesting thing was these were done to be released simultaneously with the film. But if you ever find those RCA recordings, you'll find that these were actually earlier versions of the songs. There were extra verses in a couple of the songs. A few years later, when Pinocchio was released, again, it was using the music and songs directly from the film. And that was the very first time the term soundtrack was used for the record. So not only is Disney responsible for the very first soundtrack, we're also kind of responsible for the name itself. One of the key people at Disney, I believe he began as a musician named Jimmy McDonald. And Jimmy can actually be seen in some of the early films at the studio playing the drums and doing some other stuff. But he started doing the sound effects at Disney. And where I've often commented about the importance of Disney character voices, I've always said that the sound effects that Jimmy created had such a unique character of their own and such a specific sound that they are as much a voice as the actual actors reciting the dialogue. 
in the Disney cartoons and the animated features. The sounds didn't have to be realistic, they had to be appropriate and they had to be emotional. He has a classic story where he talks about, for instance, the dwarves sneaking through the house. The dwarves are coming home and Snow White's asleep in the bed, but they don't know who's there. There's just somebody's been in their house and they're scared to death of who might be there. And they're tepidly walking step by step. And you hear this oboe in the music going, dun, 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 accenting their hesitation. And then with the sound effect, and there's the squeaky shoes and squeak, squeak, squeak with each one of their steps. And Jimmy got that from taking an old leather wallet that had some moisture or water put onto it, and he just bent it back and forth and got that wonderful squeaky sound. Hi, everybody. This is your chance to record the sound effects hey, that's Jenny Tyler. of a Mickey Mouse cartoon, the band concert. Pick a station, and we'll get started. All right, we'll I'm on wind. a short clip from the cartoon, so you can see what happens. Before we start, look at the picture shown on each instrument. Ooh, you got the bumping rump. And you'll need to play it. You get to practice using the sound effects instruments on your tape. Don't worry about making it perfect. This is just a rehearsal. Ready? Here we go. We were constantly on the spot, and we were constantly thought of as the troubleshooters. But I don't know, it was just maybe we were on the same wavelength with the boss. We just knew what he needed. He let us know. He'd be pretty articulate about what he wanted. He'd say it in lay terms, but we could figure out what it was. And we'd go off to our room and throw things back and forth. And when we felt it was right, we had a great batting average. I think we had something like 175 songs in production to do this. A good example of Walt's depending on us came about one day when we were casting Poppins. We wanted someone perfect for the mother, and Walt had used Glynis Johns, a wonderful actress, many times in the past. And so the casting department called her and said, Walt wants to talk to you about Mary Poppins. And I think she assumed at that point that she was going to play the lead. And we had already cast Julie Andrews. So that was an impossibility. So we were all sitting around this table having lunch. She was being very nice, being the queen of the May. She was talking, and at one point she said, Oh, yes, I've loved the Poppins story since I was a little girl, and I would love to play the lead. And Walt said, Glynis, we don't want you to play the lead. We have already hired Julie Andrews. We want you to play the mother. And you could see the blood just coming out of her head. She said, Oh, I see. And it was like ice. And he said, But you know, it's a musical, and the boys have just finished a marvelous song for the mother, and we hadn't written anything for the mother, nothing whatsoever. And so he said, and they're just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It'll be ready for you tomorrow. Fortunately, it, it was Friday, so we, we had a weekend, and we had to come up with something very fast. We actually had written a song called 
practically perfect. Early on, we had abandoned it, and it went practically perfect in every way, in everything I do, in everything I say. That was the song that we had written and thrown away. And when we were trying to think of the perfect song for the mother, she's a suffragette, we'll write a song about the suffragettes. She's just come back from a meeting. That's her entrance. We're clearly soldiers in petticoats, dauntless crusaders for women's votes. And we wrote that song over the weekend. We researched what suffragettes were all about. And we learned about Mrs. Pankhurst chaining herself to Parliament gates and all the rest of it. And we wrote this whole song over the weekend. So by Monday, when we played it for Glynis, she said, I like this song. I think I'll do it. So that's how we got the wonderful Glynis job. Well done. Well done. It's a small world, actually. It's quite a saga. They had created this wonderful salute to the children of the world with the Imagineers involved. And it was a wonderful idea. And they had these audio animatronics dolls all dressed beautifully in these various costumes of the various countries. And the concept originally was that each one of these groups would be singing the national anthem of every different country. And on paper, it's a great idea. It's totally impossible. It's just a cacophony. When you hear all those songs in one big, vast building, it just washes together and it's awful. And so we were brought down to a sound stage to look at the mock-up of it. It wasn't water, of course. We just walked through a serpentine channel and listened to this thing. And, and then right about 40 feet into it, Walt said, OK, cut the soundtrack. But they had gone to a lot of trouble and done a lot of work to get these soundtracks. And he looked at us again, we're the troubleshooters. And he said, OK, you're going to write me a little song about the children of the world, because this is what we need. And we want to be able to play it in various styles. So it sounds like it's it's a Japanese song, or it sounds like it's it's a French song. But basically, we want to have one little song. And it should be like a, like a jingle. And we said, Walt, if you just had a jingle, people would go stark raving mad. How about a counterpoint, a two-part piece? And he said, that's what I said, a little jingle. <laughs> so he called it a rondelet. He said, OK, we'll write you a rondelet, Walt. So we wrote this two-part counterpoint. A simple little song. He wanted a simple song to be translated by way, with repetition. I've heard it. <clears> when we finished it, we played it for Walt. And again, his comment was, yep, that'll work. Now, we didn't know. I mean, he'd never tell you, but to everybody else, he said, they wrote the perfect song for this. It's absolutely perfect. And he brought us out to the to uh, uh, WDI, where they create these things, Walt Disney Imagineering. We went out there and played it for the guys, and they were very excited about it. We didn't realize it truly that it would be that popular, that the show was the number one show in the World's Fair, and then it brought it back to Disneyland, and now it's, I think it's the most performed song in the world with all the parts constantly being played every day, and people know the song. They want to either kill me or kiss me, I don't, <laughs> because it drives them crazy. But kids love it, and basically if you play the song slowly and listen to the lyric, it's a prayer for peace. It's not, it wasn't written fast, it was written slow. It's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. There's so much that we share that it's time we're away. It's a small world. You listen to it like that, 
that's in forever. Oh, what's this? Eight classic Disney songs written by some of the company's finest composers. When You Wish Upon a Star, performed by Louis Armstrong. When you wish upon a star, <laughs> no difference who you are. Pretty close. Your <laughs> <laughs> desires will come to you if your heart is in your dream. No request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star as dreamers There's no denying that the folks at Disney have provided American pop culture with a wealth of storytelling and innovation. But one of their biggest contributions is the music itself. Disney songwriters have created some of America's most popular and enduring music. When You Wish Upon a Star, for example, is one of the 20 most recorded songs in American music. It's not nearly as good as a trip to Disneyland, but the music behind the magic is definitely worth seeing and hearing. It's a little slice of home for a Mouseketeer living so far abroad. Admission is $20, but that also gets you into the rest of the EMP's exhibits, which are pretty interesting if Seattle music's your thing. The music behind the magic runs through September 9th, 2007 at the Experience Music Project in Seattle. For more information, visit emplive.org. Did you know that over at Disneyland Paris, even the singing busts in Phantom Manor get into the Christmas spirit? When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, spooks come out for a swing and wake. Happy haunts materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes and don't try to hide. Or a silly spook may sit by your side. Shrouded in a black disguise. They pretend to terrorize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. As the moon shines high over the dead oak tree. Spooks arrive for the 
midnight street. Creepy creeps with eerie eyes. Start to shriek and harmonize. Grim pretty ghosts come out to socialize. When you hear the knell of a requiem bell. Weird clothes claim where spirits dwell. Restless bones etherealize. Rise as spooks of every size. Occasionally, I get emails that give me a behind-the-scenes look into a Disney show or attraction. I just got one the other day. Disney Imagineer Don Carson wrote me and had this to say. Hello, Paul. With your date for your trip to Walt Disney World quickly approaching, I thought I would give you some very obscure Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom audio trivia that may or may not be worth checking out. Forgive the long story, but this bit of audio has some history. I was hired as a show designer for WDI in 1989, with my very first assignment being to work on the Florida version of Splash Mountain. The intention was to have me join for two weeks or so to make those few aesthetic changes necessary to lift the existing Disneyland attraction for integration into the Magic Kingdom's frontier land. The changes to the track layout, the flume width, and the proximity to Big Thunder Mountain lengthened that job to nearly two and a half years, and it concluded with my touching pretty much every asset in the attraction. Since this was the third Splash Mountain, few veteran Imagineers were interested in pushing me off my little hill so I had full control over its redesign. You can decide for yourself whether I succeeded in improving on the original when you go in December. Okay, back to the audio. At WDI, the show writer for a project is often also in charge of the soundtrack for the finished attraction. In the case of Splash Florida, the writer was Mark Rhodes, a very talented Disney vet who had worked on many attractions prior to this one. Mark had found out that as a hobby, I liked to play the concertina, an octagonal grandfather to the modern-day accordion, and often the instrument of choice by movie pirates, and in Splash's case, alligators. Mark knew that he would be in charge of completely re-recording the entire attraction, and he thought that it would be grand if I could sit in and add the concertina bit for the alligator that plays and sings at the attraction's finale. I assured him that I was no professional, but that I would be honored to give it a try. Mark warned me that I had about a year to practice zippity-doo-dah, and that he would give me fair warning as the recording date approached. True to his word, every month or so Mark would remind me to practice, and I assured him that I would. One of the quirky realities for creating for WDI is that often employees will be pulled into doing voices for characters and such, so I figured our little recording session would be fairly informal and probably take place in one of the many sound rooms that line the halls of the audio department in WDI's main building. I have to admit that although I had a year warning, 
I really didn't practice earnestly until the night before our session. Completely ill-prepared, I met Mark and we hopped into a car and drove, and drove, to a professional soundstage somewhere in Burbank. When we arrived, I was informed that Alice Cooper had just left and that the seat in the recording booth was probably still warm. Oh dear, I was completely intimidated. I sat in a glass booth, headset on, staring out at Mark and the attraction's audio lead and delivered the worst performance that sound studio had ever heard. No matter how competent I may have been in the privacy of my own home, I couldn't get through an entire chorus without making a mistake. After several hours and much eye-darting between Mark and the sound engineer, they decided they probably had enough to work with. Needless to say, I was mortified. The weeks that followed, I avoided making eye contact with both men as I saw them coming down the hall. Although I was heading up the artistic side of the project, I was certain that they had never encountered a more unprofessional performance from a so-called musician. This is why I was so surprised when, a month or so later, the audio guy stopped me and said that they had just finished working on the soundtrack and it came out great. I suspiciously questioned him, and he said that although my contribution had to be pieced together from 37 takes, whoa, they had something rather nice, and in fact created another unique track that included my own solo. Although it sounded far-fetched, he encouraged me to listen for it the next time I was on site in Florida. Still, I couldn't help but notice the glint in his eye as he walked away. Now for one more side trip. When we designed Splash Mountain for Florida, we had to take into consideration the reality that the first years following opening would attract large crowds and long waits in the hot, sticky Florida sun. Our attraction budget did not allow for a lot of air-conditioned queue space, so we opted to create a small courtyard that sat just behind the Frontierland train station and would include a meandering queue through southern flora. Large leafy trees would break up the sunlight, and large fans built into the eaves of nearby buildings would blow air on the waiting guests during the hot summer days. To break up the space, we designed little critter-built houses that hid the speakers that were tucked into the tree branches. Each little house had its own ambient track and some little voices and music. Several weeks before the opening of the attraction, I was wandering the nearly finished queue and I could hear the already installed background music as it pumped through these little houses. As I got closer to the actual entrance structure, I could hear the sound of an exasperated little critter voice, a chipmunk perhaps, attempting to play zippity-doo-dah on his little critter instrument. He was having no luck and made frequent mistakes each punctuated by a younger critter voice offering encouragement. It was then I realized that they had used all of my error-filled tracks of concertina music. I have no idea if the track is still there or still playing, but it might be worth a listen. If nothing more, you will know the tiny story behind it. I am sure that your schedule will be packed while you're at Walt Disney World, but if you have a chance, 
stop by and listen to my grand performance. If nothing more, it is proof that Walt Disney Imagineering will use anything they have to add depth to the storytelling in their attractions. Thanks for your time, and most of all, your hard work. I love Window to the Magic and listen every week. Don, www.doncarsoncreative.com need to go pick some berries or something? No, Papa. We just want to help you. Oh, nuts! <laughs> nuts. Don't you have some chores to do? Papa. Oops. Oops. Ah, that's a mistake. Nope. Didn't mean to do that. Supposed to sound like this. Sippity doo da, sippity ay. My oh my, what a wonderful day! Plenty of sunshine here my way. Sippity doo da, sippity ay. <laughs> I bet you didn't know I had that now, did you, Don? If you're interested in getting a copy of that file, just shoot me an email and let me know. I know that quote-unquote talent rarely gets copies of their work, and this may be a unique opportunity for me to share a little bit of Disney magic back at you. Thanks for the email. And now that we know what Don's concertina sounds like, let's listen to the 37 edited clips in their full performance. again, Don. I always ask for voicemails and emails looking for feedback, and here is one great example. Big Brian sent me the following feedback. Hey there, Paul. Brian Marsoff here of BigBrian-NC.com and Big Brian's Disney Podcast. In your recent contest where you had the Epcot Center entrance loop, call it Epcot Center because that loop was there when it had that name, I believe. You mentioned that no one found the Epcot theme. 
that was part of the loop. And you played a little bit of it. But I gotta say, even though you played a little bit of it, it didn't jump out at me. It's not what I was thinking of when you actually when you first said Epcot theme. Then I realized what I was thinking of is the Epcot fanfare, which has been worked into several other pieces over the years. Do you have any other pieces that that Epcot theme was played in? Maybe you could do a little medley of pieces that include that little melody so that I could hear it. Maybe the, you, know, you could play the entrance loop version again and maybe a couple other songs that have it worked in so that I could hear what the actual melody of that is. As a sort of example of that, here's a couple pieces that use the Epcot fanfare. I believe this first piece of music was used as exit music for Illuminations. There are several bits of music that evoke the feeling of the various countries around World Showcase, and even even maybe some that aren't there. There's Spanish guitar portions and things like that. But then it does break into a bit of the Epcot fanfare right here. not the only place I've heard it. The Epcot fan fanfare also used to be used as part of the Epcot Good Morning spiel that uh, Jack Wagner recorded. I guess it was used in the park for a good number of years. Here's a bit of that. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. All of us at Epcot Center are glad to have you as our guests today. We welcome you and hope you find your day with us to be a most enjoyable... But perhaps my favorite use of the Epcot fanfare was hearing it played uh, by the future core. on stage behind me here, some of the most talented folks uh, that you'll ever hear. Uh, Epcot Center's own drummer being record. Tell you a little bit about them. They were founded in 1982. They recently completed a tour of Japan. Their CD is available on sale at the Gateway uh, Gift House, which is under the, uh, you know, Spaceship Earth uh, thing. Um, and uh, these guys, they're only 11 horns. They are all pitched in G. They are real bugles, including the only four-valve G contrabass bugle that we know of in existence. So if you contra players might want to check that out later on. Um, three percussionists, all multi-talented. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Future Core!
really miss those guys. But anyways, that should give everybody a pretty good idea of what the Epcot fanfare is, as opposed to the Epcot theme you were mentioning. I'd love to hear what you think about it. I really enjoy the show. Keep putting out the great podcasts and keep on mousing it up. Well, Brian, you got me on this one. The music I was referring to is what you were pointing out. So I'm guessing that I should change the tracks called Epcot Theme in my iTunes to Epcot Fanfare. Thanks, bud. I appreciate the feedback. Then John Pinizzotto wrote this about show number 69. Paul, I know you thought you couldn't top your Halloween show, and I know you said that you weren't even trying. But any time you play jazz music from New Orleans Square, it sends chills of a different kind up my spine. Play it any time you can. Thanks. Well, here's a track from the new band that plays on the French Market stage now that the Bayou Brass and the Side Street Strutters are gone. Thankfully, some of the Bayou Brass and Side Street Strutters musicians have been rehired and play in these new bands. This clip is from the new version of the Royal Street Bachelors. Thank you. 
your chicken looking eyes to yourself. That's Jeff on the bass. got more to come from these guys soon. I just wanted to give you a sneak peek. That chicken is nowhere near as greasy as your guitar play. Now we go from Disneyland present day to Tokyo in 2000 for another Christmas track. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Tokyo Disneyland is proud to present Christmas Fantasy in the Sky.
And now, the grand finale of Christmas Fantasy in the Sky. Isn't it great to hear what other Disney parks are doing for Christmas? I'm having a blast playing this stuff for you guys, and I certainly hope that you're enjoying hearing it. Please let me know if you like or dislike this by sending me an email. And finally this week, I will play Mickey's Christmas Parade from Disneyland Paris. This is a more elegant parade soundtrack than the others, featuring a bit more of a traditional Christmas and fully orchestrated soundtrack. Et maintenant, mesdames et messieurs et vous les enfants, Disneyland Paris a le plaisir de vous présenter la parade de Noël. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland Paris is proud to present Mickey's Christmas Parade.
Disneyland Paris vous souhaite à tous de bonnes et joyeuses fêtes. From all of us at Disneyland Paris, we wish you a very happy and joyous holiday season. I would like to thank you all for listening to the windowtothemagic.com podcast as we continue our second year of bringing you the best audio experiences from throughout the world of Disney. We appreciate your feedback, so be sure to email or call us soon. Email us at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. Call us at 206-984-9886. Or join the Disney Podcast Network discussion forums by visiting www.disneypodcastnet.com and join in on the conversation. Be sure to tune in next week when, believe it or not, Patrick will be back with his annual Thanksgiving weekend slash birthday show, and I know what he's got planned for this year. You are not going to want to miss this show. This has been Window to the Magic Podcast number 71. I'll see you next time. This show is a member of the Disney Podcast Network family, hosted by Jeff at Meandering Mouse. The DPN is a collective discussion forum, consisting of some of the finest unofficial Disney podcasts available on the internet. Pay a visit to www.disneypodcastnet.com and join in on all the fun with your favorite Disney podcasters and listeners. Thank you.